Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me on the podcast journey is my wife and partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca Gifford. Today, you'll listen to part two of a three-part conversation between Larry and me. And if you haven't heard part one, you may want to stop here and go back and listen to the previous episode first. One of the things that has become key for our relationship over the last 20 some odd years, before and after diagnosis, is taking time to talk to each other and listen to each other. In these conversations, we share what we need from each other, where we need help, and how things make us feel. We have an intention of doing them on a regular basis and as much as needed, but often we let it go a little bit too long and then have a lot to talk about. <laughs> but, a lot to talk about. That's a great <laughs> euphemism. <laughs> we always have the intention yeah. and we always enjoy the talks because we find the intimacy of these honest and vulnerable conversations brings us closer together. It's laughter and tears. It's better than cats. The focus of today's episode explores our current emotional state, and we pick up the talk discussing the emotional roller coaster that is Parkinson's. I have days where I am very apathetic and probably depressed um, and find it hard to see um, how to move forward. And then I have days where I'm really super motivated and hopeful and um, can see the path. It's not me to be apathetic. It's Parkinson's to be apathetic. And so I don't even realize it's happening until I realize, like, you're asking me for something. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, I just don't care. And, like, that's just so unhelpful for you. <laughs> And, and a change in personality for you. Because when, when I married you, you cared about everything. A lot. I even cared about our wedding plans. <laughs> you did. You did have the wedding planning. You cared about our meals. We cared what we did on vacation. How we spent time with Henry once we became parents. And were really engaged in his schooling and making those choices. And there are days when it's challenging to get you engaged in those things. For sure. It's a challenge for me, yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to explain because you just get in this funk like, well, what's the matter? Who cares? You know, if, oh, yeah, it's out of dinner. I can't taste much anymore. I can't smell much anymore. Yeah, I'm, go I'm going to the grocery store, honey. What do you think you want for dinner? And you can see on your face you just don't give a shit. <laughs> just chicken and a vegetable because that's all. Might, could be steak, could be chicken, could be tofu. I don't know. And that's where you pause for a nice <laughs> tofu. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just uh, so so emotionally. Uh, I've been kind of a roller coaster, um, uh, more so than I have been in any other year of our marriage. Um, and we've had some really serious conversations, and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's about priorities. And I think what I do is I get stuck in, you know, we, you talk about my bubble, and I'll get stuck in a bubble, and it will be about work or it'll be about the PD Avengers, and I don't get stuck in a family bubble very often, and that's, um, 
becoming more and more apparent to you and to Henry and um and for me like I can't imagine um not having you guys in my life and helping you know going through this with me and and yet while I see you as top priority that my actions say differently and we've talked about that sometimes they do yeah and sometimes for for days at a time and it can become frustrating or um it can start to feel a little hopeless because I'm like okay well is this what we're in for now because I'm not seeing you coming out of it or being aware that that's what's happening as quickly yeah. it's just like the slowing the slowing down of the processing of things um and the awareness of things and the bubble becoming a little bit more present or intense or whatever that however you want to describe that um well and then sometimes and it's not just that because emotionally for me the last few months have been quite intense. I think I'm at my next phase of grief. I don't know how else to describe it because there were months there where I feel like I was in a depression. It was really difficult to engage in things and I did. I was able to muster it, which is how I know that it wasn't a full-on depression because um, I, I have been more depressed and I know people who have it in a very serious, more significant way where you can't get yourself motivated to do anything for days, weeks, months on end. It was never that bad, but it there were weeks and months where it took a lot of energy to get myself to the place where I could be really present and engaged in the things that were meaningful to me. And I don't know how else to describe that other than grief. So it was really hard to find gratitude. Um, I found myself pretty intensely focused on the things that weren't good, um, which is not, that's not typical for me. That felt like a personality change, which is why I started to kind of label it a little mild depression in my mind. And it helped to do that, I think, because then it also helped me to ask for help. So I started some therapy on my own. We've been talking about this since the beginning of the podcast. I should probably be in some therapy. Well, I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there. And I did try a therapist for a little bit, and that didn't work out with her. It wasn't a great match, which sometimes happens. Lovely person, not a good match. And then I gave it a few months, and then I started with a new therapist. And she's lovely and a fantastic listener, super perceptive gets me just it's a good match and that can make all the difference i'm skeptical of therapy with a therapist that's not a good match for you or not very good because that can do more harm than good yes but when you find a really great therapist who can lead you and guide you and support you in the ways that you need that can make all the difference yeah um but i think The biggest thing for me was that I was, the way it manifested for me and still does to some some extent is periods of being very sad about what feels like I can't change or address it. So it's not even focusing on fixing it because I don't believe that's what I'm doing. I don't want to, you know, quote unquote, fix things or make it right. 
I'm seeing things for what they are and accepting them, but they're in my worldview (laughs) and with all the tools that I've spent years and years cultivating and learning and using, there's always a way to address it. There's a way to kind of, okay, well, over time, let's focus on this. Or over time, maybe we can shift this or change this on a practical or an emotional way. And I was seeing lots and lots of situations where I didn't have or it felt like, and it didn't look like there was any way out of it. There was no other way to change it other than me kind of taking on more or me. I'll give you an example. So as we've established, parenting is intense these days and your bubble is getting a little bit more intense as well, even though you're aware of it. So you're aware that you often are slow to engage in parenting issues going on around you, but your awareness doesn't change anything because it doesn't change your ability to do it. So I'd like it if your awareness of these issues alone could get you to be more present with Henry when, for example, we're having a really contentious day, but I still have to ask you to get involved. But here's the rub. There's no way to change that. In other relationships and earlier in our relationship, we would have a conversation about that and say, here's, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's kind of happening on a practical basis here in our home. Here's some steps that we can take to change that. Your awareness of that would probably change that, right? And then things would probably start to improve, or at least I would feel like I was carrying less of the load of that. Well, Parkinson's make sure that that's not easy and likely won't happen. So the the result of that is I have to adapt and in most cases take on more responsibility. And this is just one of a couple of dozen mm-hmm. examples that I can think of in our life right now. And it is the way it is because of the Parkinson's. It's not that way because of trouble in our relationship or something that can be significantly addressed, it feels, whether this is reasonable or the actual truth or not, it feels like something that just can't be resolved. So therefore, I have to change or I have to sacrifice something or I have to adapt. I have to compromise because you aren't able to. So there's little to be done except the people around you adapting. And the result of that is that I find myself envying people who don't have to think about that. Well, and I think part of the the issue is even though it's the Parkinson's, it still feels personal. And so while it's not about our marriage, it is about our marriage. It affects our marriage, but it's not because... Our marriage is faulting, or because anybody's doing anything wrong, right? You don't want the Parkinson's. You you can't help the Parkinson's. It's not like you're intentionally doing this, or your lack of awareness is, or unconsciousness about it is the issue at play. It just is. Right. And I. Even though I'm aware of the bubble, the bubble still comes. And I, you know, like I'm not aware when I go into the bubble 
you go, hey, you in your bubble? And then you're like, hey, can you help me out? Can you? And I, excuse me. I need reminders like that. And, and for you, it's like, that's just another thing I got to think about. Yeah. Because it doesn't take the responsibility off of my plate of making it happen. I would like to just not have to think about it. But instead, I still have to think about making a list and making sure that you notice the list and making sure that often reminding you about the list or that you had promised to do this by a certain time or, or something like that. Um, and even the, you know, even small things, um, taking the initiative for doing things is not necessarily in your wheelhouse these days. And that can be anything as small from as small as taking my sweatshirt upstairs, (laughs) right? Helping with the laundry or remembering to, to, you know, bigger things like mutual professional projects and, and things like that. It's, it's, um, you know, there are some days when it feels really big because there's like something that's really important to us both and you are quite disengaged with the details of it, which is understandable, even though we had mutually decided we were going to think about the details of it and then you just can't do it that day. Right. So it still needs to get done. Beck's going to do it. Shove other things aside and then I have to... I have to go do it. So I, so I end up adapting and you hear that in, and it's, (laughs) I know you care partners hear me because you hear that all the time when there are care partner focused programs and workshops and whatnot, webinars. Here's the issue that the person with Parkinson's may or may not be dealing with. Here's, here are the common issues or whatever. Unfortunately, it's the care partner who's going to have to notice and be aware and address it and adapt. Right. That is a common phrase that I, that I think I've heard in every webinar that is care partner focused. And every and it's always kind of said apologetically like, yeah, you're going to this is if you want this to be addressed, you're going to have to address it because they don't have the energy or they don't their brain doesn't work that way anymore or whatever it is. So I find myself when I when I'm faced with usually more than one of these kinds of things in a row, I can get into a hopeless place where it feels never ending and overwhelming. And well, if I can't fix anything and it's just more and more things that I have to take care of and think of, where does it end? Where's the relief? What can be done other than Spending all of our money hiring people to help us with things. Well, right? like one of the things that we've done is we do the fresh prep meals uh, two or three times a week, which was supposed to help with having easy, simple meals that we didn't have to think about, you know, buying things for. But it, we still have to, you still have to go in there and choose the meals and, and you've got to make sure that we've cleaned it and that it's out front and that we remember that then it's late. And like, so then it, it still becomes your, your issue. It still helps though. I do have to say, <laughs> I like having a couple of nights when I don't have to think about it so much. Yeah. And, and then I try to cook one night a week and I know that's not a lot, but I, I used to cook more, but like it's, um, and, and then, I'll take it. And then, um, you know, we've talked about getting help around here. But, like, again, we're not, like, just – none of us are rolling in so much money that we can just 
to hire 500 people to do all of our stuff for us. You know, you know, I don't drive very much. So now you're driving Henry to and from school. And now, I, you know, it's like, because uh, I'm just like, I'll drive. But every time I drive, somebody honks at me and I don't know why. <laughs> I'm doing something wrong, yet I'm completely unaware of what it is. <laughs> which is, that makes me nervous then right. about you driving. So right. all of these, and I guess it's it's, it's also important to note that, all of these things and all of these additional things, ways that we have to think about it and the ways that it's different from the way it used to be, it adds stress to your life too. So it's not just that I have to adapt, Henry has to adapt, the people around you have to adapt. You've had to adapt hugely. And so all of these things are stressful for you as well. And you're observing our frustration and you're aware enough that you are observing our reaction and that things are different. And then you're like, oh, God, this damn Parkinson's, right? It's like, you know, this is, it's not as if you're doing this to us. I just want to acknowledge that. We're well well aware of This is the biggest thing for people with Parkinson's who have great partners is we don't want to be a burden. And we can't help but be a burden at times. And you're watching us have to shift our life and everything around and it's just because of you and your condition and that would be heartbreaking and you've described it as as that it is and it's you know it's sometimes it's easier not to think about it because otherwise you'll just cry which is probably why I disengage so much I am Thank you for everything you do. Well, and thank you for everything that you do. But everything I do frustrates you. Not no, (laughs) not everything. It's that weird. I as I described, I'm in a time when I'm, and I'm coming out of it. But I was very much in a time for a while where it was easier to see. And to focus on the things that were not going well, which is why I describe it as kind of a mild depression, because I was very not focused on gratitude and not focused on the things that you can change and things that you do have have an ability to address and all these things, which there's a lot. And having you in my life is still much, 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 much better than not having you in my life. But it was super, I just got into a dark place. Again, I don't know how else to describe it other than just part of the grieving process. Yeah. And it was, my challenge was trying to not fix it, right? And letting myself feel it and be aware of it so that I didn't, it didn't take, take over. And reminding myself that I have been to dark places before and I know how to, get out of it if I allow myself to lean into it and see it for what it is, which is just a normal part of the grieving process. There were days when that was really, really hard. Um, But that, but because I allowed myself to do that and then got help when it started to feel hopeless for a little too hopeless. Now I'm able to, 
I'm, I'm starting to pull out of it. So hope is interesting because in, you, you're reading the Brene Brown book that I'm going to read next. But Yes, Atlas of the Heart. Everyone should read it. It's fantastic. And she talks about hope in there. And mm-hmm. we, we've, we've talked about what she says about it. And you mentioned something earlier where you're like, I just, I didn't, I don't know how to fix it. And so then I become hopeless. And what Brene says, and I'm paraphrasing, and there's more to it, but if hope is when you can make a plan to move forward. When you can see that there are steps to take. Yes. And you can, that, that it is something that can be addressed. Even in a small way. Like if, if I can give myself hope by making a plan tomorrow to take down the Christmas tree that should have been taken down three weeks ago. Well, shall we quote Brene directly? Sure, yes. Okay, so I thought this was really, really fascinating that her research and her observations determined that hope, and this is included in Atlas of the Heart, her latest book, hope has three elements that need to be there to, to experience it. And the first one is we have the ability to set realistic goals. So you know where you want to go. You can see where you want to go. It's not just this black abyss of here's where I am and I can't see anywhere else. At least you can see where you would like to be. Two, we're able to figure out how to achieve those goals, including the ability to stay flexible and develop alternative pathways. So you can have a plan. And three, we have agency, which means we believe in ourselves and that you can get to that place. So it's self-love and confidence and all those things, but also taking steps and having an idea of what those steps are. Not even she doesn't even talk about taking it. She's just knowing that there are steps that you can take is what brings you hope. How do you how do you manifest agency? How do I personally manifest yeah. agency? It's taken me about 50 years. To fi- <laughs> <laughs> no, it took me about 40 years to really consistently believe in myself and my abilities. And I falter at times. My confidence is lower at some times. Um, but to more consistently know that I, over time, can accomplish things history helps with that. Look at what I have accomplished. Um, But it's more than that because some young people have a lot of it. You just have a knowingness that you, because you've been through challenges before, you can get through challenges again. So some of it has to do with hardship. How do you you differentiate agency from ego? Well, it's the difference between confidence and arrogance. Arrogance is false. And based on insecurities and overcompensation for insecurity. So it's self-awareness. Confidence is knowing, a knowingness that you, you can and that you can accomplish things, that you can be something or a certain way. Um, and that if it doesn't go well, that you can recover. Resilience. An agency can come across as ego if other people don't believe you can do what you believe you can do. Yes, but that has a lot more to do with them than I know than it does with you. <laughs> you can simply be confident and have agency 
and people who are very insecure and dealing with their own flaws and failures or, or haven't dealt with them will see your confidence as, as arrogance or overconfidence and ego. So it's, it's, it's you cultivating a self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And for me, that came with time and mindfulness and I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes, but meditation and taking the time and writing, journaling, catching myself um, when I feel a certain way and writing about it. And a lot, a lot of times clarity will come from that. Just doing that over time, the muscle gets conditioned so that now I can see it. Oh, that was my ego. Ugh. Well, that really didn't come from a really good, confident place that came from ego or arrogance or overcompensation or whatever it is, and knowing that I still have the ability to, <laughs> to do that at times and seeing the difference. How do you have agency? Well, I, mean, I was just thinking about this. That's one of the symptoms of Parkinson's that people don't talk about is your loss of agency. Because what you knew you could do before you often can't do now. And so you have agency going into it. Like, like when I went running after the bus and then I fell on my face, right. I, I had the certainty of the agency that I knew I could catch that bus before Parkinson's, but now that agency got me in trouble. So it's frustrating then when you hear people like me who don't have to think about that, talk about history. I've done that before. I know I can do it again. Right when people with Parkinson's have to relearn constantly over time because it's always changing what you can and can't do. I know I can go to the bathroom, lift the seat, stand up and urinate, except for I can't now because (laughs) I don't have control over my bladder. So I got to sit down. Right. Like that's, so there's about 40 examples you can do with that. Like I know I know how to drive a car, but I'm not doing it very well. So amidst that, then how do you maintain your agency, your sense of agency? I don't know that I do, uh, but I know that there's certain things that I can still do, but not at the same level. So I need to figure out where does, what, what can I be certain of? Like, what can I commit to that I know I can do? I often overcommit myself with the numbers of things I can do in a day or a week or a so I need to give myself more time to do these things. So I try to build in extra time, more time than I think I need um, because it's that that will allow me to have the agency. I You know, the time gives me more certainty that I, my agency isn't false. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's trial and error and it's changing all the time. Well, this conversation, even as we listened back to it, was difficult because we're talking about some dark things. But it also was comforting because I remember how I felt as we were having the conversation and right after the conversation, and it continues, of just the power that acknowledging how you feel and sharing it vulnerably with the people who can have what you feel and need to hear how you're doing and want to hear how you're doing and support 
you in that process is invaluable. It's really healthy way to be and to have that outlet and to to really be able to look at and break down and put words to even the darkest parts of your recent experience. It doesn't make it this overwhelming nebulous black abyss of something that can just feel too big and or too big to even feel. Right. It makes it accessible and then we kind of then we're able to go okay, I can deal with that. I can look at that. Right, it's like bacon. So when you pull bacon out of the oven, it's sizzling hot. And if you try to eat it, you burn yourself, right? So that's what it feels like when you haven't discussed these things. It just feels like untouchable. And then as it cools, as you acknowledge that the bacon's hot and you allow it to cool, or as you acknowledge the issues or the, the, the emotions that you're having about something and you share those with each other, it cools it off. So then it becomes something out here that's tasty. It's delicious. Yes. And something that you should eat. <laughs> Or it makes it more enjoyable, I guess, more palatable, something that yeah. is just part of your everyday experience and not something that you just can't look at. You're not allowing yourself to feel. Because like, as I think back and listen back, there was a lot of emotion tied up into that conversation, but now it feels very approachable. Yes. I'm glad we had the conversation, and I hope that others enjoy it as well. I love you. Oh, I love you too. So that's part two of the talk. Next week's a serious discussion about the future of us. You, me, Henry, and Parkinson's. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is a Curious Cast production. Our story producer is Dila Velazquez, sound designed by Greg Schott. The presenting partner is Parkinson Canada. Diagnosed with Parkinson's, you are not alone. Parkinson.ca. Thank you also to our promotional partners, the World Parkinson Congress 2023 in Barcelona, Spain. Make plans to be there with us. Now, you think about like saving some money. It's going to come quick. Uh, it's uh, all the details. All the details at WPC2023.org for details. 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 The Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's Podcast, hosted by Larry Gifford. Available on Apple Podcasts and at michaeljfox.org. PD Avengers, a global alliance of people with Parkinson's, their partners and friends, united to the cause of ending Parkinson's disease. I encourage you, I implore you, I invite you to join us now at pdavengers.com. Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. SpotlightYOPD.org. And I would really appreciate it, and so would Beck, and so would Curious Cast, if you would share this podcast with somebody. Uh, you know, everybody's recommending things these days. You go on Yelp, and you're recommending restaurants or massage places or you know, you, therapists. Oh, everybody's got a therapist they want to tell you about. Tell them about this podcast. That would be awesome. It's really the most effective way to grow our audience and raise awareness of Parkinson's disease. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time.